dear congregation, let's give our ears to the inspired Word of God. I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of Ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So far the reading of God's holy and inspired word. And may the Lord once again add blessing to the reading of his word. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is a great privilege to stand before you once again today to proclaim the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What I'd like us to do this evening is to look at our text and see how this express purpose of the coming of Christ to the world can challenge us to become active participants in missions and in making disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. The message that many preachers proclaim today does not have Christ who became man who died and rose again from the dead for the sake of sinners. The internet and the market today are flooded with sermons and books that promise success and money and happiness and good health. But Paul in our text this evening underscores the Christian message by saying that this statement is trustworthy and that we should fully welcome it. And what is that message? Well, it's simple. Look at the text, verse 15. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. That's what we need to hear today. That's what the text says. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And there are three things that I want us to learn from our text. First, let's understand the truthfulness of this gospel message. Second, let's focus on the centrality of Christ in this gospel message. The centrality of Christ in this gospel message. And third, let's learn the result of this gospel message in our lives. First of all, the truthfulness of this gospel message. If you look at our main text, verse 15, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, we can see here a great summary statement of the gospel message. It says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This verse begins with a quotation formula. formula. The saying is trustworthy, or this is a faithful saying in other translations. And every time this formula appears, the statement that follows it refers to something that is true and that is something to be 
believed. And in this case, Paul emphasizes the truthfulness of the saying that the purpose of Christ coming to the world was to save sinners like him, like you and me. Many did not believe this, of course. Some of them were teachers of the church in Ephesus where Timothy was serving as a pastor. That's why Paul urges Timothy in verse 3. We did not have the time to, to read it, but in verse 3 of chapter 1, he urges Timothy to remain at Ephesus so that he may charge certain persons not to teach any different or any kind of doctrine other than he preached. In the Philippines, many people do not believe that man is born sinful. Uh, many of you uh, know that the Philippines is predominantly Roman Catholic, and many of my countrymen do not see themselves as sinners in desperate need of Christ. Many of us would profess that we are Christians, and we try to follow the law of God and avoid wicked things, but many won't, won't admit they're born in sin. And since we're a country frequently devastated by typhoons, which are similar to hurricanes, we are a country devastated by flash floods and earthquakes. Just in our city alone, uh, some two months ago, we had experienced four strong earthquakes in our city. But we are that kind of country that experience all kinds of calamities. And many people, rich or poor, give freely to the needy during times of calamity. And so many people see themselves as good, as generous and loving people, but not sinners. Some would even boast of being religious, taking a vow of suffering, flogging themselves with spiky, thorny whips, even crucifying themselves on a cross during Holy Week season. Sometimes probably you, have, uh, you, you, you get the news uh, here in the U.S. that some people in the Philippines are actually allowing themselves to be crucified. They go to that extent. But they are so blinded by their own so-called good works and self-righteousness that they don't see their need of a perfect Redeemer in Jesus. This is a challenge for me as a preacher because the only way for many of my own people to see the glory of Christ as the only way to God and as the only hope for salvation is for them to see how great their sin and misery are before God. And of course, the only way for self-righteous people to know that they are in misery, that their miserable status before God the only way for them to see it is by preaching the law of God. By nature, we transgress the law of God and increase our condemnation daily before Him, as our Heidelberg Catechism says, because of our failure to keep His law. And that's why the Apostle Paul talks about the law of God in verses 8 to 11, reminding Timothy the proper use of it in relation to the preaching of the gospel. The law was given for the lawbreakers so that when they see themselves condemned by the righteous law of God and weighed down by the convicting power of the Spirit of God, they will turn to God and take refuge to the only Savior, God 
has provided for mankind. And so Paul has warned his readers of those who teach false doctrines, of those who propagate myths. In, in Ephesus, there were people who were uh, propagating, propagating myths. And in contrast to all of that, Paul is saying this is a trustworthy statement. He has also warned them in verse 6, if you look at your Bible, he warned them of some who have wandered away and turned to what he calls vain discussion or meaningless, meaningless talk. But here, in verse 15, this statement is something entirely different. Here is a message that's entirely trustworthy. You can stake your life on this truth. And Paul is saying, you better pay attention to this statement because these words are utterly trustworthy. So that's the first point that I want you to understand. This gospel message is the truth that Jesus, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And it's worthy to be accepted and trusted by everyone, sinners and saints alike. But what is this truth that you and I ought to accept fully and wholeheartedly? That's our next point. The centrality of Christ in this gospel message. Notice that this message is all about Christ, who He is, and what He has accomplished for His people. This is what the Apostle Paul is trying to emphasize in verse 15. The gospel is not about my reward and benefit when I have done something right. It's not about my prosperity and success in this life by doing something good. It's all about Christ. It's all about His saving work as the Son of God, as the promised Redeemer and King. The gospel is about Him. It's not about us. This is what's true. Paul says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You understand that that statement is a short summary of the gospel. Of course, you could elaborate, you could add something to explain further some of the words and some of the statements that the Apostle Paul is saying here, but that's a short summary of the gospel which contains the whole story of the Bible. And this is our message to the nations of the world. This is the message that we bring to the streets of Chino, to the streets of Los Angeles, or San Francisco, or Manila, or in our, in our own city, Davao City. When you go home and eat your meal tonight, instead of thinking and talking about how strange my accent is, take these words and mull over in your mind. See how much truth you can derive, you can draw just from these words. Christ, Jesus, came into the world to save sinners. There's a lot in this statement, and we don't have the time to expound them here. But let me share part of my response to this message. Being born and raised in a devout Roman Catholic family, I decided to serve God as a priest in the Roman Church. But God has other plans, of course. In spite of being a good boy when I was growing up, deep, with, deep within, I was, I was restless. I was conscience-stricken. 
It was the French physicist and philosopher Blaise Pascal who spoke of people's need for Jesus Christ when he said, and I quote, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which only God can fill through his son, Jesus Christ. But 1,200 years before Pascal, it was Augustine who said in his book, The Confessions, you, referring to God, you, O God, have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests on you or in you. Both Pascal's and Augustine's words have struck me when I first read them. There was a vacuum in my life that needed to be filled, and there was some kind of restlessness that I didn't know how to put to rest. For years, I had that experience. But thank God that in Christ, He filled my emptiness and enabled me to rest and to live in peace. In God's appointed time, I met this Baptist minister who shared with me the gospel for the first time. And seeing the grace of God in Christ towards sinners like me, I was led to admit my sin. And I truly repented of my sins. And for the first time, I felt that sense of joy and peace deep within. The things that Augustine and Pascal were talking about were now real to me. The peace that I have been looking for, that I've been longing for, came as a result of the knowledge of God's grace in Christ. There's a lot of comfort that comes from the knowledge that God will not take my sin against me anymore, all because Christ has taken my place. Christ has paid for the penalty of all my sins. And that's really amazing, wonderful. That's grace, and it gripped me from the inside out. And when I came to know Christ, I've also sensed the, urgent, the urgency or the urgent call to make Christ known to others. You know, you, you know it's something that drives you. You cannot keep that, that uh, uh, word of God in you. You want to share it. You want others to hear it. You want others to experience the grace that you have experienced in your life. That's, that's me. That's what, that's what I have experienced when I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the reason why I am in the gospel ministry. The gospel message has so gripped me that I responded to God's call to missions and the ministry. And this is the message I proclaim week in and week out at the, at the church back in Davao City in the Philippines, that Christ came to save sinners. It's the message that the Apostle Paul preached. Paul's statement that's worthy of all acceptance is about Christ Jesus. It's about the Messiah of the Old Testament scriptures, the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. It's about the Son, the Son of God, who was with God and is from is God from the very beginning, that He came into the world, this world, and He came, He came to save. He became man. He identified with us. He identified with our sorrows and our afflictions and our sufferings. Just imagine that the Lord of glory became an infant, a human being. He came into this fallen world full of sinners. He came to Bethlehem. He came and lived in Nazareth where people said no good thing comes out from that place. Just imagine 
all the sufferings that our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, had to suffer, had to go through in order to save us. He was the Son of God. He was at the right hand of the Father, but He became, he became like us, flesh and blood. And He was tempted in every point, as the Scripture says, as we are, yet without sin. He knows what it is to be thirsty. He knows what it is to be hungry. He knows what it is to be tired and to be tempted by the devil. He knows what it is to be let down. I remember about six years ago when God led me and my wife, Kathy, through a desert-like experience. I was, I was already serving uh, in our church in Davao City, and we had this its kind of desert-like experience when everything is dry. We've experienced the pain of being misunderstood, being maligned, and losing friends because of our conviction. And perhaps the wilderness experience was magnified by the feeling of sheer exhaustion in the ministry. But during this time, a missionary couple were part of our congregation. They were with us at that time, told us to listen to a message by Reverend uh, Terry Johnson from, from Savannah, Georgia. That's their home church. And that message by Reverend Johnson truly ministered to us, to me and my wife. Reverend Johnson called it the Capernaum Syndrome, an experience of pouring yourself out, ministering and serving others, yet they turn against you. I know I am in the company of ministers who are also going through similar pains. Christ himself suffered rejection by his own people. Paul was in prison. John, the Apostle John, was exiled. And during the time, I was beginning a, a series of sermons from Exodus where I preached on the suffering of the Israelites and the wilderness experience of Moses. I've learned that on occasion, God considers it necessary for us to go through difficult experiences, to humble us, and to teach us not to trust in our own strength, but in His divine providence and words of promise. Thank God for His words. He can turn our mourning into dancing. One of the ministries that our congregation used to be involved in was the ministry with persons with disability, PWDs, especially with the blind and polio victims. In fact, our church elders, two of our church elders, are both PWDs. One is legally blind, and the other is on crutches. When you visit our church, you will see them. I led Bible studies with blind people and other PWDs, and some of them became members of the congregation because of these Bible studies. It's quite challenging ministering to them and with them because they're not only born sinners, they're also sensitive and emotionally fragile. They can be easily hurt by what you say. But as I continue teaching them the gospel in various contexts, some of them have experienced their, or, or they have expressed their gratitude to, to me for teaching, for teaching them the gospel. They realize that the more they hear Christ and what He has done and accomplished for them, the more they see change in their lives in their heart, 
and they learn to accept their disabilities. They learn to love the Lord Jesus Christ, and they learn to, they learn to live uh, or to love other people as well. Christ died to give us new hearts. He died and rose again so that the Holy Spirit might come and indwell our hearts. He died so that He might witness with our spirits that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Jesus died to rescue us, to deliver us from the darkness into the light, so that today, this is the true statement that Christ came to save sinners. This is the statement that deserves full acceptance. This is the statement that every single one of us should believe in, that Jesus came to save sinners like you and me. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what sins you've committed, what sins that you'd be ashamed to speak about. Our Lord Jesus came into the world to save sinners like that. And by the way, notice that the context of this great saying is Paul's own personal testimony of how the mercy of God had changed him. Look at verse 13. He says, Formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. And why did Christ choose the chief persecutor of the church to become the chief missionary of the church? The answer to that question is given very clearly in verse 16. Jesus did it so that today you and I would grasp the power of the gospel, that no one who trusts Christ is beyond the reach of change. No one is beyond the reach of change. But I receive, look at what, what the Apostle Paul is saying, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, meaning the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. That's Paul's testimony about the grace of God, about the mercy of God. Our Lord Jesus picked the chief of sinners, to demonstrate to us today what His mercy and power can do in our lives. So don't belittle the mercy of God by saying that you cannot be changed. When Paul calls the power of Christ, which changed him from a great sinner to an apostle, when he calls this power mercy, that's what he said in verse 16, he does not exalt himself but the Savior. Mercy is a gift. It can never be boasted in. Mercy can be sought after the way a hungry man seeks food. And it can be accepted only by faith and faith alone. So none of the changes God gives us can be the basis of pride. The more Christ-like we become, the more we exalt Christ, not ourselves, the more we become humble. And Christ's mercy toward us compels us to tell others 
to come to Him as well. And Christ's mercy and compassion moves us to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into the harvest field, as we have seen this morning. As you walk with God, are you learning more and more the sinfulness that lurks in your own heart, which in turn drives you humbly and thankfully to God's grace and mercy in Christ? Maybe you were raised in a Christian family and you were brought to church and learned a lot, a lot of truth from Sunday school or from catechism class every week. Maybe as far as you can remember, you have always believed Christ to be your Savior or you really believed in Him early in your life. That's really a great blessing. I did not, I did, I did not have that, that, that blessing. You ought to be thankful to God for that grace in your life. Yet this does not mean that you have already arrived in your walk as a Christian. The truth is, while you recognize that you have been saved from sin and regarded righteous before God, by God Himself, like Paul, you still need to be aware of your own sinfulness more than the sinfulness of others. We have this tendency usually to uh, focus on the sins of others rather than our sins. If we don't recognize our own tendency and proclivity to sin, it's hard for us to become humble people, humble and kind and considerate Christians. You will fall into self-righteousness. You will love God less and be less considerate with others because you won't realize how much you were forgiven. And so the gospel is based on the mercy and abundant grace of God. And the gospel is for sinners, those who deserve nothing but the judgment, the just punishment of God. And the center of the gospel, as you may know, as you already know, my dear brothers and sisters, is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Finally, the result of this gospel message in our lives. Recalling now the power of, of, of the gospel, as, as you will see in the, in the testimony or in uh, the statement of the Apostle Paul in verse 16, recalling the power of gospel will make us useful. Paul says, I am an example of God's perfect patience. If he can save someone like me, then he can save anybody. The word translated those who were to believe is literally those who are about to believe. In other words, no potential believer needs despair that his case is too hard for God. God delights in hard cases. A great sinner who truly believes in Christ will have eternal, eternal life and be used of God as he used the Apostle Paul, a former blasphemer and persecutor of the church. The key to being used by God is to be consistent with your experience with Him. Since He has saved you from your sin and you're applying the sound teaching of His Word so that you're growing in holiness, then you will, you will see changes in your life, and that changed life will be used by the Lord to change others as well. That's one result of the gospel in the life of a believer. That's what we see in the Apostle Paul. That's what I see in everyone who believes this gospel truth, whether in the U.S. or in the Philippines. 
But another result of believing this gospel message is that it also makes us worshipful. As Paul thought about what God had done in his life, he broke forth in spontaneous praise. In spontaneous praise. The gospel bids us draw near to receive mercy. But having received it, we also realize that God is holy altogether. He is unlike us. And so, Paul in verse 17 says, He is the king of the ages. But we are finite. We are finite subjects. The Apostle Paul says, God is immortal. He is immortal. While we are subject to death. God is invisible while we live in the realm of that which is seen. He is the only God, and we are definitely not gods. All we can do is bow in wonder and adoration that such a being could save undeserving sinners like us. Do you find your heart willing up with spontaneous worship of God as Paul did? Everyone who remembers his experience of the gospel of Christ can't help worshiping God. This is the motivating factor that drives me to keep on serving the Lord as a missionary in the Philippines. As I continue to preach this gospel, I long to see more people who would join the church in worshiping God as they are, as they are brought to a saving knowledge of Christ. And I thank the Lord that before I, uh, I left, Last week or the other week, we received four new members in church by public profession of faith. The worship of God is the end goal of our missionary task. We preach the gospel, God converts sinners. And converted sinners become true worshipers of God, and that gives us delight as it does to God. We are not saved from sin for the sake of pride. We are saved for the sake of praise and worship of our living God. And when God's work in us is done and we stand, before, we stand glorified before Christ in the last day, we will not rejoice in our worth, but we'll sing with millions of saints and angels in glory saying, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and honor and glory. And blessing. That's what we are going to say. We will stand before Him. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb to receive honor and glory and praise and blessing. For He came to save us sinners and He made us true worshipers of our God. I look forward to sing with you side by side before the Lord of glory in that glorious place. Amen. Shall we pray? Thank you once again, our Heavenly Father, how you have sent your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to die in our place, so that in Him and through Him, we could experience regeneration, new life. In Him, we could receive forgiveness of sin. We can stand righteous before you. In him, we're no longer your enemies. You treat us as your children. You treat us not according to what we deserve, 
but according to your loving kindness. Thank you, our Heavenly Father, for in Christ you have saved many. And we continue to pray that you would save your people all over the world through the gospel, through the preaching of your word. Thank you not only for saving us, but also for accepting us into your family, giving us the right to be called your children. Thank you that you are not ashamed to be called our Father. And we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ for giving us life in him and through him. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, for sending him to our lives, enabling us to serve you, to honor you, and to be faithful witnesses of our Lord Jesus Christ in this world. Make us bold workers and witnesses for your cause and your kingdom in every place where you have called us to be. May it be in the public square or marketplace or in the home or overseas. Make us wholeheartedly willing and ready to testify for Christ and for the work that he has done for us and for our sake. Bless the preaching of your word in our hearts and lives today that we will all the more be encouraged and challenged to bring the gospel message not only to our neighbor and community, but also to the ends of the earth to every tribe and nation and language and people where Christ is not yet known. Hear us, we pray, for the sake of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.